0: Well, today we are in week four four of our series, Redeeming Restfulness. And uh, today, we're going to look at a new uh, a new message uh, today. And it's been wonderful over the last uh, few weeks just to see so many people engaging uh, with this. And I've had many people uh, relay back to me that this has been a significant series for them and a real timely one for them. It's been wonderful to see uh, people as well engaging with the habits. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if you've done them or not. Again, as we've said in this whole series, none of this is around rules or anything. This is all around best practice and invitation into what Jesus is uh, calling us into. But I do want to continue to encourage you uh, with those. And if you haven't picked them up yet, there's still time. You can still continue to work on these. These are, uh, you know, learning the art, as I've shared, of Sabbath is an is something that we, we do uh, need to just continue to learn. Because as I shared in the first week, there's a little bit of a recap for us today. And for those who are maybe here for the first time hearing this, in the first week, week we looked at this idea that uh, we live in a culture that is literally facilitating exhaustion and restlessness and we all feel it Uh, we feel it in our homes we feel it in our workplaces we feel it in our souls and the way and Jesus comes and he gives us this beautiful message and he says to us he says to us come to me and you'll recover your life isn't that beautiful? But then he goes on and he shares that the, one of the ways that we can tap into the restfulness of Jesus is through the principle and the practice of Sabbath. And so we looked at uh, what that is in the, in the first week. In the second week, I spent a little bit of time just unpacking uh, the four key moves to Sabbath. And uh, we encouraged you uh, to shape your own Sabbath around these four key moves. The first one being stopping, that Sabbath uh, is a time to stop and to stop. To cease, to cease our working, to cease our paid work, unpaid work, to cease our worrying and to cease our wanting. I then spoke about it in terms of rest and uh, that Sabbath is a day for, for rest and uh, that sleep is important. Ten hours is for optimal performance and, uh, and so how do we actually sleep? So Sabbath gives you permission if you're on Enneagram 9 or you're anything else who loves sleep. It is okay. Uh, do not feel guilty. We need to slow down. We need to take time to sleep. And then I spoke about delight and how we're called to spend Sabbath Is a day of delight. Uh, the third word that Shabbat can be translated into is this word to delight, where we delight in God, we delight in God's good world, and we delight in our place in it. And then the final one was worship, Sabbath is the day for worship. And last week, uh, Melinda Cousins came and she unpacked further in a wonderful message uh, this idea of delight. And uh, again, how it is that when we we take time to slow down, we delight in God, but we also remember and we realise that God is delighting in us. And so if you've missed any of the series, I want to encourage you to go and to check it out. You can do that on our podcast. You can do that by going to our uh, RBC online on YouTube and you can follow up with the messages all on there. But I want to encourage you to do that. It'll also help to make a little more sense of where we're kind of going uh, today. Although if you haven't missed, if you've missed uh, the last few weeks, it's not going to matter. Today, we're just going to get another angle as we look at this idea of uh, Sabbath and uh, redeeming restfulness. So today... Uh, We're going to be diving into uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to start, but I do want to just acknowledge again uh, a couple of key books that have been important for today's message uh, and for this series, and that is a book by John Mark Comer that is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I don't know, I know some people have actually gone and picked this up, and that is wonderful. John Mark Comer went through a time of burnout and he found himself going to his mentor and saying, what do I need to do if I'm going to last long in life and in ministry, and his mentor said to him, who was a guy by the name of Dallas Willard, who many of you may know, uh, said to him, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And I think that is, uh, that is true. We do live with what Maya Friedman calls hurry sickness. So that book has been really significant, particularly the chapter around Sabbath. And then a book by Walter Brueggemann called Sabbath as resistance and that's what we're going to look at today is this idea of sabbath as resistance so in exodus 19:20, 19, uh, 19 and 20 we see israel is camped out in the sinai desert and uh, moses uh, goes up to mount sinai and he receives the ten commandments and in the fourth commandment we read this and will hopefully be on our screen he says remember the sabbath day by keeping it holy Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Now, uh, I want us to see here that, uh, that the people of God are told to remember Sabbath, they're told to keep it holy, and why is that? Well, that's what the next verse goes on and says, It says this, this is the reason or the motivation or the rationale for it. It says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now, if we're to fast forward 40 years, uh, Israel and the Hebrew people now find themselves are not uh, on, in Sinai, camped out near Mount Sinai, they find themselves on the edge of the Jordan River near Canaan. And a whole generation has gone by, and so many of the Israelites who had gathered uh, on the edge of the Jordan, they weren't there at Mount Sinai. Uh, and if they were, they were, they were too young to actually remember it. And so Moses takes the opportunity opportunity to give a little refresher course on the Ten Commandments. Forty years, we all need a refresher course. Moses knows that we suffer from a little amnesia uh, and so we need to we need to remember this and so in Deuteronomy 5 we read the second edition of the ten Commandments but in this uh, second edition that Moses gives here there's a subtle shift and I want us to see if we can we can notice a subtle shift have a look at this 512 observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seven Day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So did people pick up the change? It's from Remember to Observe. Now, I'm not going to go I- into why that is. We could, uh, we could do that, but because of time, we're not going to. But there's a second, but one of the other main reasons why I don't want to spend some time on that is because there's another significant change that actually happens later on in the passage. That comes up in verse uh, 14, but mainly in verse 15. And so I want to have a look at this significant change. Take a look at verse 15. It says this, "'Remember that you were slaves in Egypt.'" and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, so what do we see here? We see the same command given to observe the Sabbath day, but we see a completely different motivation and rationale for it. At Mount Sinai, we see that the basis of the command to Sabbath was based in the story of creation, for in six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. But here in Deuteronomy, in this second version, we see that the motivation for Sabbath is based in the Exodus story which tells of the story of Israel's freedom from slavery to Pharaoh and his empire. At Mount Sinai, the command to Sabbath is about the rhythm that God put into creation, the six and one rhythm. Here in Deuteronomy, it is all about resistance. It's because Israel has been set free from the slave drivers and of consumption and production and so it is a warning now to them to resist ever going back to slavery in Egypt. And so why this, why this change? Why this change in motivation? Well, one of the reasons is because this is the very first generation of Israelites to grow up in freedom. Their parents, their grandparents, uh, their great-grandparents were slaves to an empire that used to abuse and uh, use Israel. You see, Pharaoh was a brutal tyrant and Egypt was the capital of production and consumption. Egypt was driven by a desire for lust and a lust for more, more wealth, more opulence, more luxury, more success and more lavish lifestyle for Pharaoh, for the cities and for the leaders. And it was all achieved on the back of the Israelite slaves, on the back of the Hebrew people, on the back of oppression and cheap labour. You see, no matter how hard Israel worked, their work was never complete. Their work was never enough. Take a look at just a. This is just a sample, mind you. Just in a couple of chapters, um, there's a whole lot more if you look through Exodus. But have a look at this. They here is the Egyptians. The Egyptians made their lives, being the Hebrew lives, bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians work them ruthlessly. And just jump forward four or five chapters to Exodus 5. It says this, Then the slave drivers, that's the Egyptian slave drivers, and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw." Go now and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So they've got to get the same outcome, but they've got to go and get more straw in order to do it all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. Next slide. I think I've got next one here. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, "Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today, as you as before?" This is this is ruthless stuff. We need to we need to recognise this. Now you might be uh, think though that the culture of Pharaoh and Egypt uh, is something of the past; that uh, that Pharaoh and his empire are dead. Well, that's not quite the case. You see, Egypt never really goes away. Uh, It's archetypal in a similar way that in Revelation, Babylon is archetypal. Pharaoh and his empire are alive and well today. You see, you and I, we live in a culture addicted to more, a culture that is never satisfied. Satisfied? a culture that is restless, a culture that is never content with what we have, a culture that is geared towards greed. Our culture is addicted to accomplishing more, more knowledge, more degrees, more applause, more followers, more influence, more beauty. We're addicted to accumulating more, more food, more drink, more clothes, more money, more experiences, just more stuff. And sadly, like Egypt, much of it comes on the back of injustice and oppression. Now, you might also think that slavery seems like a practice that belongs in the history books, something that uh, is gone now. Uh, But in reality, slavery impacts still today over 40 million people today. Now that is estimated, listen, this is estimated to be 27 million more people than were sold and captured between the 15th and the 19th century. Baptist World Aid, who many of you know are um, an agency that are part of the Baptist movement, and we do a lot with them. A lot of our Christmas appeal goes to Baptist World Aid, but they do a lot uh, in terms of tackling injustice and global uh, global poverty. And on their website, They share a few facts about what modern-day slavery looks like today. And and here's what they say modern-day slavery looks like today. Uh, Number one, they say, chances are that you and I are wearing something made by a victim of modern slavery. Uh, Two, taxi driving and domestic work are just some of the Aussie industries where slavery exists. Three, most victims of modern slavery are women and girls. Four, forced marriage is a form of slavery that really does exist today. And number five, our region, the Asia and Pacific region, has 62% of all victims of modern slavery worldwide. That's, that's our region. This is, this is sobering stuff, right? And just recently, uh, the 2022 uh, World Inequality Report was released. And this shows that the top 10% of the world own 76% of the world's global wealth. The remaining 90% own just 24% of global wealth. And the top 1% of the richest people in the world own 38% of global wealth. And here's here's the truth that that for most of us who are here in in this room today, we are closer to the top than we are to the bottom. The bottom 50% of people are made up of those many from Southeast Asia and Africa who work uh, seven days a week, 14 hours a day in sweltering heat just to survive. So why does Dan share all this? What, what does all of this have to do with Sabbath? Well, the reality is it has a lot to do with Sabbath. You see, in a culture that is addicted to more, Sabbath is an act of resistance. Walter Brueggemann, he writes this, he says, In our own contemporary context and the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. Sabbath in the first instance is not about worship, it's about work stoppage. It is about withdrawal from the anxiety system of Pharaoh, the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. Now, in and of themselves... Accumulation, accomplishment, production and consumption are not evil pursuits, okay, so hear me on that today. But here's the thing if left unchecked, in our hearts and in our societies, they have a very they have a way of very quickly making slaves of both the poor and the rich. And so in our individualistic, materialistic and consumeristic culture, importantly, Sabbath is a way for you and I to stay free from becoming Egypt, to stay free from becoming the slave driver ourselves. Sabbath is also a way to stay free and to make sure that you and I, that we never get stuck in slavery, that we never get stuck back into the slavery of the world. You see, as we've been saying over the last three and four weeks, Sabbath may well be the most important and urgent practice for followers of Jesus and for our cultural moment. It is no doubt, I believe, one of the most counter-cultural practices and disciplines that we can actually do today. Now, as I was prepping uh, for today, I wanted to have a time, and we'll do this later on today. I wanted us to spend some time just reading together Psalm 16, and uh, and but as I was looking at Psalm 16, I came across something that I hadn't seen before. Uh, it's called Anti Psalm 16. And uh, someone uh, on this website, I, I can't even, I, I could find the name for it if you really wanted to, but you can probably just go and search it, Anti-Psalm anti 16. As you can imagine, it's the opposite, okay, of Psalm 16. And I want to read it to us today uh, because I think it is a helpful commentary on our society and on our desire and our need to accumulate and to accomplish and to never feel satisfied, to never feel content and to continually live with restlessness. And so this... this... This is anti-Psalm 16. The Lord is not enough for me. I want more. I want more than this. I deserve more than this. I wish I had been dealt someone else's hand in life. What I was given is disappointing and unfair. It must be nice to have a good inheritance, but that's not my story. Why would I give thanks to God? What did God ever do for me? The things in my life that I do enjoy, I earn those things. I worked hard for what I have. God had nothing to do with that. I don't need God's wisdom or instruction. I've made it this far on my own. I'll sink or swim on my own. Am I bitter and envious? Sometimes. Am I proud? Sure. Yes, I'm tired, but everyone is tired, right? Life is exhausting when you're pulled in a thousand directions. There's always more that I need to do. There's always more that I need to acquire or secure. There's always another crowd or another voice that I need to please. And through it all, I have to always be thinking, how will this look to others? What will they say? But there's no other way, right? All these balls in the air, no one else would catch them if I clocked out. No one else would help me keep afloat if I stopped swimming. The applause would turn to heckling if I didn't keep performing well. My situation is fragile and time is ticking. I can't stop. Life is short and it is what you make it. I want more than this, but I also don't want to lose what I have. Because this is all there is and it's all on me. It's sort of depressing, but it is what it is. You live, you die, that's it. It all ends in the grave. Our destiny is to be food for the worms. All you can do is be faithful to yourself, to do what you feel and follow your dreams, follow your heart. Don't listen to anyone else. You know best what you need for your life. Joy is accomplishing your goals. Joy is acquiring what you've always wanted to have. Joy is the adoration and the admiration of others. Nothing lasts forever, including you. So you do you. You get yours while you can. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? But church our western world it's addicted to more. This is this cultural script for many people today and it's hurting us all. Fortunately though there is a cure. And one of the part of the cure is the practice of sabbath because sabbath is an act of resistance. You see, for many of us, we live with this discontentment and restlessness where we are stuck. Our happiness is dependent upon what we have or what we don't have. And our identity is rooted in what we do. It is rooted in what we accomplish. It is rooted in how well we perform. And so the practice of Sabbath helps you and I remember our ultimate exodus from sin and death through Jesus Christ on the cross but it is also an exodus for us from a life of more and a way to tap into the abundant life that Jesus has on offer for us. Sabbath is a way of saying that we are not defined by what we produce. We are not defined by what we accumulate. We are not defined by what we accomplish. Rather, we are defined by who we are loved by. And that is a creator God who formed you and I in his image and who gave himself for you and I in the greatest act of love that this world has ever known or seen. You see, when we hear about the overwhelming injustice in the world or even here locally, it's easy to be troubled and to think there's nothing that we can actually do that would make any difference. Well, do you know what? One thing we can actually do is do nothing for one day a week. That's how you and I can actually make a difference. We can actually do nothing for one day a week. Practicing Sabbath is a way that we can participate with God towards a just world. You see, Sabbath is a way of saying enough enough. It's a way to reimagine a day of rest, not just for us, but for all. Not just for you, but for all. And a good question to ask ourselves at this point is this, are there ways that my spending habits And accidentally, again, there is no guilt in any of this. Hear me on this. But are there ways that our spending habits, where we shop, the degree to which we shop, that are doing injustice around the world? That's an important question that we are to ask ourselves on Sabbath. Now, buying things isn't always bad, okay? But if we are honest, most of us actually have more than enough to enjoy a rich and a satisfying life. And again, please hear me. This is not a guilt trip or a shame trip. Anything that we do around Sabbath that puts people in bondage, and that includes guilt and shame, okay, instead of bringing relief to a situation, completely misses the point. So that is not my, that is not my intention here. This is all just awareness. It's to remind us this, that Sabbath serves for us. The way that Scripture speaks of Sabbath is it serves for us as a weekly line in the sand that says, Enough. It says there is actually a limit. We don't actually need another phone. We don't actually need another witchery handbag or another Kmart purchase for the lounge room or another holiday. We actually have enough. What we actually and really need is time. Time. Time to pull away from the hustle and the hurry. Time to enjoy God and to focus the attention of our heart, not on what we don't have, but on what we have and who we have. You see, here's the deal for most of us. We do not have to do more. We do not have to consume more. We do not have to sell more. We do not have to work those extra hours at work to get ahead. We do not have to control more. We do not have to have another night out. We do not have to know more. We do not have to have all our kids in ballet or soccer all year round. We do not have to be younger or more beautiful. We do not have to score more. We do not have to gain perfect grades. We do not have to be on social media, 24-7. We do not have to have everything we want. We have enough. And in a materialistic culture, we need to hear this message again and again and again because this is the waters that you and I are swimming in. We are in the thick of it and sometimes we cannot see it or the way that it is doing damage to our discipleship towards King Jesus. And in a world that is so materialistic, We need to be reminded that there is more to life than simply accomplishment and accumulation, production and consumption. And so Sabbath helps us to live with the contentment that our souls actually long for in a world of greed, discontentment and restlessness. You see, for Ellie and I, one of the discussions that we try to make off-limits on our Sabbath, and this, is, this kind of works to some degree or another each, each time we, we do it, but one of, the, uh, one of the conversations that we try not to have on Sabbath is anything that would uh, be around things that we don't have or things that we would need. Uh, That's one of the things that we just try to do. We say there's another six days that we can have those conversations about the things that we want or the things that we don't have and the things that we would like. We just wait on that. And we're, like I said, different levels of success on that, but we try to. We also at least try, we've never got to the point, again, I've said this to you before, I'm not a Sabbath guru around this, we are just learning the art of this, okay? And uh, we've we've uh, got to the point where we're trying to at least curb some of our spending on Sabbath. We haven't got to the point where we don't spend anything, uh, but we have tried to really curb it. Again, it's in a way of helping us to remember that uh, our spending in has an impact across uh, our globe and across our world and is a reminder to us to live with contentment in our heart and to be grateful for what we do. Uh, Doing this is a little practice that helps us recognise how much we have been given and to give thanks and to delight in what we have, not to desire the things that we don't have. See, Sabbath helps us focus our hearts on the things that money can't buy. And that is freeing, that is healing, and that is life-giving. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that the longings of our soul will not be met in the latest product or online purchase, but will only be truly satisfied in God. And so in a culture with an unquestionable hunger and thirst... More than anything, we need to slow down, to enjoy unhurried time with God, and learn to drink deeply from Jesus, to let our hunger and our thirst for more to be satisfied in Him. And unless we do this, we will continue to live in slavery and we will never truly be free. Saint Augustine put it this way, and you know this quote, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know this to be true. I'm not telling you anything new today. I'm just alerting and highlighting and making us more aware of it in this moment today. Ronald Rollheiser, he writes this and he says, True restfulness is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It is living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace and prayer. We are, how good is this? We are restful when ordinary life is enough. This is, we need to hear this. We are restful when ordinary life is enough. What is that? It's long lunches with friends. Board games with the family, even if you haven't got all the scrabble pieces. Slow walks along the beach. Coffee and tea in the afternoon. We need to learn that ordinary life is enough. We don't need more. I wonder, what will it be for you? What do you want for your life? what do you want for your family? What do you want for our society? Do you want a life of restlessness, discontent and greed that is as old as Pharaoh? Trust me, as I've said before, it's easy to do. This is the waters that we swim in and it's easy not to see them. And we can often feel powerless against it. And I know many of us think as we start to think about how do we take a Sabbath, how do we even take four or five hours, you know, there's all these things on. I get it. But we need to remember that we can find our rest in God. That he will make ways for other things to get done. So I know that we can feel powerless to this. But the principle on Sabbath is so important. For us. And so, will you, will you get, continue, or will you find yourself sucked in to the cultural waters of restlessness, greed, and discontentment? Or will you embrace Sabbath and will you draw a line, have a line once a week where you will say, enough, ordinary life will be enough for us. We will live with a sense of being content. We will live with gratefulness for what we have. We will delight in that. We will desire no more. I will focus the attention of my heart not on the things I don't have, but on the things that I have and the people that I have in my world and the God that I love. So on this note, the weekly habit for this week is to continue the last Three habits, if you haven't done them yet. Digital detox, shaping your own Sabbath. That is one of the trickier ones, but I encourage you to try it. I encourage you to do it. It will be good for your soul. You will receive significant benefits and blessings from it or last week, the photo of the day. If you want to see uh, what people have put up, you can go to RBC Sabbath photo of the PHOTD and look at that hashtag, and there's been some wonderful things that people have just put up there. But the habit for this week is what's called a breath prayer. I don't know if you've tried a breath prayer before, but a breath prayer... A breath prayer is an ancient form of prayer. It is a short prayer that is repeated throughout the day as often as you like but some people choose to do it at like 9am, 12pm, 3pm, 6pm, 9pm. It's just a way of focusing our attention in those moments and reminding us that God is enough. That we don't need more. We have Him. And so uh you can go to the hub online, okay, and you can again download uh, the the habit, or out in the hub in the foyer, you'll find the one for this week around uh, breath prayer. I've got an, I've listed four different samples that you can do, but the idea with a breath prayer is you breathe in a truth about God, and you breathe out a truth about God. You breathe in. And out. And maybe it could be something as simple as this. Truly, my soul finds rest in you. Truly, my soul finds rest in you. You adopt this little practice throughout the day, or the other little samples that we've got on here. Another one as simple as this, Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. This simple practice will help you to focus the attention of your heart onto Him, the things you have, not the things that you don't have. There's a few more other ones that you might want to use. You might want to even be creative and make your own up. And that would be fantastic. Go for it. Uh, That's the idea of this as well. So would you stand with me today? And what I want to do today is I want to close us and then we're going to have a time of worship. Uh, Would you also please be in prayer for our Broadview community? I'm going there to preach a a message in a moment that I did last week here, uh, a couple of weeks back, and uh, they're just starting this series, and so I want to just pray, uh, ask if you keep them in your prayers as well. Uh, and that uh, they too would find that this series is significant for them. And in a moment, we're going to have a time to um, just to have some extended worship, just a time to stop in the presence of God and to remind of who Jesus is and that he is the one that we have. But let me just read this over us all today. This is the real Psalm 16. It says this from verse 5 through to 11. Lord... Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make, me known, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Let us come and let us worship our God today